Would you turn with me to Psalm 117? So, you can look at this psalm visually and you know it's short. (laughs) Um, It is the shortest psalm of all the psalms. And... um, It is a psalm that is widely known to be one of the great missionary psalms. Its emphasis is is missionary in its emphasis, and that's Psalm 22 that we sang at the beginning is also one of those. Uh, So let it never be said that in the Old Testament there was no thought about God being spreading His his, uh, word to the nations and bringing people uh, to faith throughout all the nations, and not just in Israel. Um, And so this sees a day when those things would be accomplished. So let's, uh, I'll read this psalm, and then we will consider what the Lord has to say to us in it. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. May God bless the reading of His Word. Brothers and sisters, our Lord, uh, you know in the Great Commission, as He's about to ascend into heaven, He charges His church to go into all nations and make disciples of of all nations, because He says all authority has been given to Him in heaven and on earth. I think it was John Piper who once said, the church's missionary task exists because the worship of God by all peoples does not. And that phrase, I think, well captures the impetus of Psalm 117. It is a great missionary psalm. It is a psalm that is a call to worship. And it calls all nations, all peoples, to join together in the worship of the Lord, the one true God. So this psalm, I think, beautifully underscores to us and and reminds us of of, of a true call to, to pray, to support the labor of the church in bringing the gospel to the nations. Certainly not on one Sunday of the year only. That's an emphasis, perhaps, on a Sunday, but it's always to be part of our thought. So I want us to look, first of all, at the universal call, the universal call to praise the Lord that uh, verse 1 gives us, where it just simply says, praise the Lord, all nations extol Him, all peoples. So it uses the word Lord there, and we point this out regularly in our study on the Psalms, the Lord there is is the Hebrew, behind that is the Hebrew word Jehovah or Yahweh, the covenant God. This is the God who has entered into covenant with Israel, his people. And, and the people of God are coming to worship him. And they know they're worshiping him. And they can worship him because he has saved them. He is, he's the one who's brought them to himself. He's the one who has made, uh, made them his special people. And, and he dwells with them, and he's going to be their God always, and he's faithful. And so it's this God that they're saying, all nations should now praise that God. 
All peoples, it goes on to say. Some translations say all Gentiles. Um, But that word then is really referring to the wide diversity of nationalities and ethnic groups that are really what this psalm is calling out to. Um, It's not a provincial God that Israel worship. It's not a God of only who dwells in Israel. This is a God who says, I want all peoples of the nations to come and praise me. And so people in Kenya, people in Kisi tribes, people who are Arabic speaking, people who are Europeans or Russians or Chinese or Canadians or, or Native Americans, people of all nations. And that, that really comes to its fullness. We see a bigger picture of that when we look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Um, and, and Revelation 7, verse 9 is this vision of, of all these people gathered around the throne of God, worshiping Him. And it's, it's a, a multitude nobody can number... And they are from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. So that's really giving that, that sense of, of the variety of peoples. Sometimes within nations are specific subgroups of people. All of them, is saying, there's a huge variety. And, and there's a challenge for each one of those in terms of language and in terms of whatever religions they happen to be committed to. But all of these peoples are the scope of this psalm, all nations, all peoples. So this is a, what we call the universal. It's a God-centered universalism in a biblical sense. Now, what do I mean by that? It's not that all people are going to be saved regardless of what God they worship. That would be contrary to Scripture. It's saying that all peoples are, are to, uh, from every nation, are to come and seek their salvation through God's Son, the Lord, Jesus Christ, Jehovah, who's come in the flesh, that all these people are to seek their salvation in Him. And so it goes to all those peoples without distinction and says, all of you, it's universe, all of you come and worship me. It's a very warm missionary psalm. It's what the, the apostles did when the Apostle Paul went into, into Athens and he talked about that. And he says, God calls on all men, commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. See, it's, it's, a, it's a warm, uh, universally stated thing. You all need this salvation. You all need this Savior. You all need this God. And I think we're always in danger of restricting this kind of universalism and our calling, frankly, to be a missionary church. We tend to be too easily satisfied. We sometimes tend to look down on other peoples we don't understand and whose customs we don't get, and they're different than us. Paul says, no, they're all to be, uh, I mean, uh, the psalm talks about all of these are to hear this gospel and be called to faith in Christ. And, and that, that tendency to restrict, that, we see that in the New Testament already in Paul's day. Um, the Jews that were converted to Christ seemed to forget the idea that God had promised Abraham, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. In your seed, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so these Jewish Christians in Paul's day were willing to have Gentiles convert, but only if they would adopt the Jewish traditions and customs alongside of the gospel. 
They weren't allowed, they weren't willing to allow Gentiles to become Christians if they remained Gentiles. See, they had lost that sense of what it meant that God had intended all these families of the earth to be blessed through his saving work. In Romans 15, we see Psalm 117 quoted. He quotes that in, in, and, and he, he, he quotes a number in Romans 15, a number of Old Testament passages that were, that were prophecies about God intending that the Gentiles be included in the call to salvation and salvation, that he was going to enter into covenant with them too, with people from all over Gentile, the Gentile world. So in, in, in Romans 15, he's been writing in the context of Romans 15, he's been teaching the strong and the weak about how to get along with each other. And a lot of the division was between people having different ways, uh, different commitments to different foods they would eat or different ways, uh, times that they would um, um, acknowledge special holy days and things like this. And they were dividing themselves over these. this diversity uh, was among them, made them be divisive and made them suspicious of each other. So you get a sense in Romans 15, you get a sense of just a little bit of a glimpse of how persistently Paul had to argue the truth and remind them about God's intention for the salvation of the Gentiles too, and not just to be a Jewish people, but to be Christians, to be rooted and grounded in Christ, and that the Jews too had to be rooted and grounded in Christ, as well as these Gentiles. Well, Christians today, I think, often have been guilty of the same problem. Uh, We have too often identified the Christian gospel with Western culture. We have that problem as Western Christians where we identify the gospel with Western culture. It's kind of like this attitude. If you don't immediately become exactly like us when you're converted, well, then you aren't welcome to come and worship Jehovah with us. You have to be like us. And, and that, that has been a, a struggle for, for Christian churches in the last 200 years in particular. And, um, and, and it shouldn't be. Too often, in fact, we just simply neglect our missionary calling to all the nations for many reasons. I think it's wrong for us, frankly, today to think that the great missionary efforts to go into all the nations is over. Well, you know, there's churches everywhere. Maybe we don't have to do this anymore. Maybe we don't have to worry about having missionary labors in Africa anymore because there's Christians already there, so we can just, we don't have to focus on that. But the fact is, there are thousands, and missiologists show this, there are thousands of people groups, people who speak unique languages, the thousands of people groups that still have not heard the gospel in the world today, that do not worship the Lord, that do not know Jesus Christ. So it's not something that the church may neglect. And on top of that, we prayed tonight for churches in Germany and, and in Turkey and, and, and in, in Europe all over and, and places like that where the gospel has been known for well over a thousand years, going back even to the early church. But we're still needing to bring the gospel in those nations because of the way things have changed. So this psalm is reminding us that we're always being called upon to sing Psalm 117. People, peoples everywhere, you must come and praise the Lord. You must come and worship Him. You must Uh, um, give your lives to him in your service. You must trust him. You you deserve that honor, Lord. 
You, des the, you deserve that praise. You deserve that love. And so th there's this universal call. Um, but the reason there is this universal call, this broad, um, um, unrestricted call to those nations is because the gospel is relevant to all those people. The gospel is specifically relevant to all of them. Now, we ought to stop a moment and acknowledge that there are people who have the idea that um, Christians trying to disciple people of various tribes or various nations or various traditions or various languages in the name of Christ, that some people find that offensive and they find that arrogant. Who are you to go and bring your religion to those places? Some of those places have ancient religions. Who are you to go do that? Now, what's their objection? Well, one of those objections is this idea that that, right, you aren't supposed to impose your religion on other people. Or you're arrogant. You think that your Christian faith is, is better than, than their faith. And, and we can say that's simply wrong. That's simply a wrong perspective to say that our faith uh, isn't, isn't unique, isn't the only true faith. That it's wrong. We have to say it is. Because the real biggest reason that people have to objecting to the idea of sending the gospel to all these nations, some people will say, um, you're assuming that there is this exclusive salvation that can only be found in one person, Jesus Christ. How, how exclusive are you in that? that that's just, we know, there's many ways to the one true God. But the fact is, this psalm is even alluding to that. To, to the truth of the fact that there is one, one, Acts 4 says it, one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is that exclusive. There's one Savior for sinners anywhere and everywhere, and it's Jesus Christ. And, and so this, this call that goes out is relevant for all nations because the gospel is what all nations need. Exclusively, this is what they need to be saved. That's the motive. That's the evidence for why all people should praise this Lord. All people should praise this Lord. It's true for every time. It's true for every people and every place. Everyone is supposed to know this. This psalm tells us that everyone should know Jesus is the only Savior and the triune God is the only God. And he ought to be worshipped. He's worthy of that worship. So when, when, we, when we would send a missionary and we send out um, uh, missionaries to the world, we don't just say, hey, you should praise the triune God. No, the work that is required is calling people to believe in and to worship that true God and to be saved through his son. And that requires teaching. That's what Jesus said. Go into all the worlds, baptize the nations, teaching them all things that I have commanded. In order to call people to worship God, you've got to tell them who he is. What is he like? What has he done in this world? What has he done in history? What is his word? How He's spoken to us. What has he said to us? In order for people to come and worship, you've got to teach them these things. You've got to explain these things from God's own word. 
And so we give reasons for why praising this God is the only safe and the only satisfying um, response that you can have to God. And we're to make it clear to, to those nations. Not to praise that God is to perish. Not to praise that God and turn to Him is to remain in your darkness. To remain in your sin. That's the relevancy of the gospel, right? Look at verse 2. Look at how verse 2 says this. It says, For, this is adding a reason, Great is God's steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Great is the Lord's steadfast love. Here again, there have been other translations of that word, uh, steadfast love. It's, it's, it's a Hebrew word, chesed, and it could be translated steadfast love. It could be translated mercy. It could be translated um, uh, truth. It could, be, it could be translated a number of ways. Merciful kindness is another way. Great is God's merciful kindness. Great is His love, steadfast love towards us. Now, notice that word great, though. That word great. It's not just saying, wow, it's really neat. Great here means prevail. His steadfast love prevails. And in the Hebrew language, in the Old Testament usage of this word, great, prevails, when the word prevails is used to, in reference to God's steadfast love, it has the thought of God's love prevailing over any obstacle, over any enemy. When God's steadfast love prevails, He tears down the strongholds of the devil. He breaks through the darkness that people are living in. He breaks through the ignorance and the lack. He comes into their lives and He brings light so that they can see. The steadfast love of God causes this prevailing to take place. So what this psalm is saying is, that the steadfast love of God prevails over things that keep people from fellowship with God, that keep people from relationship with God. Which really then brings us back to the gospel, doesn't it? What it's saying is God's steadfast love solves the problem of mankind, that we are lost in sin. Every people group anywhere knows the effect of sin that causes misery, that causes pain, that causes suffering, that causes guilt, that causes a sense of fear and dread of God, that causes a sense of condemnation. They know something of it. They sense something of it. That's why they're religious. That's why they seek gods. That's why they seek some appeasement of uh, of their problems. But the steadfast love of God has prevailed. And so we have a message to bring to the world. You see, if the Jews of the Old Testament were moved to an exuberant expression and and glorifying of the prevailing love of God, how much more ought we to be exuberant and impressed by the God's prevailing love towards us? God so loved the world that He sent His only He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. We know that in a way that no Old Testament believer fully understood it because we've seen Jesus and we've seen His work. 
our God sent His Son to die so that our sins would be destroyed, broken, removed, and so that we would live forever in Him. That's the steadfast love of God and how it's prevailed. This Jesus is Abraham's seed. He's the one that God promised all the families of the earth would be blessed through. So you see the the universal relevance of this gospel. Universal meaning no matter where you go in this world, this good news is really good news for people. Because all are sinners, because all need salvation, and because the one God sent to bless the nations and the families of the earth has come and has accomplished this salvation and he has risen from death unto life, and he rules in heaven. So we are to be, the first reason to say we need to bring that gospel everywhere is the steadfast love of God. And the next word is, because the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. And again, the word faithfulness is sometimes translated in in your translations, the truth of God endures forever. The Lord endures forever and his truth and his faithfulness endures forever and here's the point here's the point that that says whether you're going to use the word truthfulness or faithfulness what it has in mind is God's plan what is God's plan what is God's promise the promise and plan of God is as fresh and it's intact and it's as relevant today as it ever was When it was written in Psalm 117, when it's read tonight on November 13th, 2022. Who knows? How long is that? 27, 28, 2900 years? In all that time, God's faithfulness, God's truthfulness, God's purpose and His plans has never changed. He's ever faithful and true to His purpose to save and to be a Savior for all the families of the earth. And this will remain for every generation until Jesus comes again. It's never going to end. So the relevance of the gospel that calls all people to come and worship, it's the same as it was in the day that this was written. And the psalm then concludes by saying, So praise the Lord! The Lord. It's right that God would receive the praises of all the nations and peoples. It's saying, you, all you peoples, you will never know the joy, you will never know the blessing of fellowship with the Lord until you come to Him through Jesus Christ, His Son. You will never know the peace that passes understanding. You will never know the forgiveness of sins. You will never know the hope of everlasting life without salvation that comes because of the steadfast love of God. Come and join us in the purpose for which we were created. We were created to worship God. We were created to live in fellowship with Him. We were created to honor Him, to praise Him, to serve Him, this faithful God. Come and worship Him with us. You can find this good news only in the Lord. So what we learn for living life in the Psalms, in this psalm, is this. We, believers, 
who have tasted the great love of God, who have, who have given, been given to know the truth and faithfulness of God. We have an obligation, just like people did in the days that Psalm 117 was, read, was written, we have an obligation to make the call of this psalm heard to all nations and all peoples, beyond our walls, beyond our community, beyond our little world. Our motivation, our desire must be that all people everywhere would join us in praising God, in praising His great love, in knowing Him, and enjoying eternal life with Him. Amen.